This episode of the Thrive Life Podcast is presented to you by Roar Alexander, powered by Thrive Life International and home of the Thrive Life Challenge. Get ready to discover everything you want to know about fitness, nutrition, and optimized healthy lifestyle hacks to help you truly earn your Thrive Life. Also, be sure to keep up with Roar at www.roaralexander.com and share the Thrive Life podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or the Thrive Life podcast page on Facebook. Now, with no further delay, let's get on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Thrive Life podcast. I'm your host, Roar Alexander, and today we have a great show coming up for you. We have Western Canadian fitness specialist, Paul Plakis. Uh, it's actually a rather interesting story. Back when I was living in uh, Vancouver full-time, uh, I used to watch, actually when I was in Victoria, to uh, be more specific, I used to watch this show called X-Weighted. Um, it was a Canadian show about uh, people trying to lose weight, and they had this trainer come on named Paul, and he would, you know, give people the workout and he was very blunt with them and I just I just really enjoyed the show and I really enjoyed the way that Paul the, the logic and the, just the attitude that he brought to people I thought was great and something that a lot of people weren't doing because people were so busy sugarcoating and being politically correct. So let's fast forward about three, four years and I'm sitting in my gym in Vancouver, my uh, CrossFit MMA gym there, and I'm just working out and all of a sudden I look up and standing there is Paul Plakis. He just happened to be coming around, a little jog or something, I guess on the seawall, I'm not actually sure. And uh, there he's just standing there. So I tell you, that was uh, pretty awesome. Awesome, and then we did a little workout together, and uh, that was uh, that, that's you know that's how history goes. And now here I have him on the show, so it is my honor to introduce everybody to X-weighted uh, trainer and one of my good friends, Paul Plakas. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. How are you doing, bud? I am very good. How is life in Edmonton treating you? Yeah, right now it's really good. We're in the middle of summer. It's uh, very nice and warm, so we're loving it here. Oh, very nice, very nice. And the PT business, all the fitness is going well over there? Yeah, we're doing really well. Like We've got uh, a studio in Edmonton called Custom Personal Training. So we've got about 5,000 square feet of space and probably about a little over a dozen trainers that work out of there. And uh, I just got their own clientele, and we, we work with a wide range of fitness levels. Uh, from people who've never worked out before, professional athletes, but generally we work with people who want you know general overall fitness, mostly fat loss, a little bit of improved energy, and then maybe some reduction of chronic pain in their body. So we kind of that's our, sort of our specialty. Gotcha, gotcha. So what have you been up to? So so for the folks that don't know, how you you started off? Um, you started off. How did you get into the fitness industry? I read something about you're a superhero fan or something like that. Well, you know what? It kind of yeah, a little bit like that. Like it, when I, I was one of those kids where I, when I grew up, my parents were in the restaurant business, being Greek and everything, and uh, you know, so I indulged in you know sort of restaurant food quite a bit. So I ate kind of very unhealthy, okay. and I was. Uh, you know, I was putting on weight, like in, basically in elementary school and junior high. I was never obese, but I was definitely chubby, and uh, I and I had a bit of an outgoing personality. And I got a little picked on by sort of the jocks yeah. in the school where I was at, and uh, I just eventually kind of got sick of it. And I thought I need to do something about it. I remember this one guy who moved into town when I was in grade ten. His name was Dave. And he was different than all the other kids. He had a lot of muscles on his body. 
So I was like curious, like, how did you get all these muscles? And he told me that his, he and his dad did a lot of weight training. So he was the first person to really introduce me into resistance training. And I started, I got a little weight set for myself at home, one of those plastic weights with the cement in there, like the York. Oh, yeah, the old, uh, the gold, barbell. the gold colored ones. Yeah, those right, exactly. So I, I started working out in my basement, and then I went to my first gym in a small town in Alberta called Hinton, and he kind of showed me around a little bit. And then uh, I really kind of just started loving the changes in my body. I built, it built up a lot of self-confidence, and by the time I got into grade 11 and grade 12, I had enough, you know, I'd lost weight, I had more muscle, I felt better about myself, and I stood up to bullies, and just having that confidence itself, like I never got into fights or anything like that, but nobody really bothered me anymore about that. So it was really the picking from other people that kind of got me into it. Oh, okay, very nice. And then from there, you decided to take it then into a career, I guess, obviously. Right, yeah. I went to the University of Alberta, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do there. Like the first year, I kind of just took a general arts program. But then when I was flipping through the calendar to find out all the different career choices, I saw that you could get a degree in physical education. And I already liked working out. I go, what? You can get, I didn't even know you could get a degree in that. So it had anatomy and physiology and uh, kinesiology courses and all that kind of stuff. So that really resonated with me. So I thought I'd give it a try. So yeah, then I did the four-year program uh, in phys ed at the U of A and finished that in 1990. Very nice. And then how did you then get on to the, um, the, the TV show X-Weighted? How many years was it on? Was it on? Because you went from X-Weighted to X-Weighted Families, right? It kind of evolved. Yeah, so what we actually started off with a, another show first called Taking It Off. Okay. It was from the same company, Anade Productions. They have an office in Vancouver and in uh, Edmonton now. Mm -hmm. And we, we, did, we did four years of a show called Taking It Off. It's sort of the same thing, a little different format, people trying to lose weight. And then X-Weighted went on for five years after that. We, started, we finished filming X-Weighted in 2010. So uh, we did about nine years of a weight loss documentary type show. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I know. I mean, I used to. I used to love that show. Now, one of the things that I really liked on the show, especially, is you know your personality. You're very kind of blunt. I mean, quite often, you know, you don't really sugarcoat things. And there was more than a few episodes, you know, where people would cry or people would yell at you, and people literally, you know, when the, the off camera when you're not there, like I hate Paul. Where did that kind of attitude yeah. kind of come from? You know. Uh, you know, I, I think I've, I kind of always had that, which is kind of weird because it's very different than my parents, who are very conservative people. But it was kind of one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why I was picked to be the kind of trainer or host of the show was that the, the executive producer of the show said, to, they, after they've interviewed lots of people, they basically said that, Paul, we like it that you don't think before you speak. Because okay. they say it's for great TV. Because I, did was, I would just say what's on my mind because it's, it's honest, it's real, it's genuine. And if it got a little bit too aggressive, they would just edit it out. So I, I would never edit myself. I would, I would just say what I would say to a person like if I saw them on the street, if they came into my own place. And, uh, and, and people like that. They like the honesty. You don't have to be mean to people, but you need to be genuine and tell them the truth even though it's something they may not want to hear. Oh, for sure. Do you have any um... – do you have a favorite client or a favorite story at all from those those nine years that you can share at all? Uh, anybody who got overly mad at you or anybody that had really good success or whichever direction you want to go? Oh, yeah. like There's, a, there's so many things there. Like uh, some of my favorite things was actually, uh, you know, in Vancouver. You, you, know, you must know the grouse grind, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So there was one fellow, there was one fellow his name was Bernie. And I, I got along with him great. 
He was a 53-year-old guy, and um, I think, yeah, yeah, 53-year-old guy, and he was really overweight, and he had bad knees. So he was about six foot one, six foot two, probably about 350 pounds, plus he had bad knees. Mm -hmm. And he told me he and his family wanted to accomplish the grouse grind, which is a grueling hike up Grouse Mountain, right? So it's very, very tough. I find it challenging to do. Yep. And uh, he wanted to do that. And I, and I thought, well, at the beginning, there's no way this guy with bad knees and being this heavy is going to get up the mountain. And we were even thinking about it in production, like, what if he fails and stuff like that? He can't do it because we want things to be inspirational. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> and I said to everybody, you know, it doesn't matter if he fails. I go, I go, I don't. I, don't, I, I just – there might be not be any specific time goal that he's going to do, but eventually he'll get up the mountain, whether it's inch by inch. It may take 24 hours. So I said, if you're willing to have the camera crew out there all night and do it, and then they said, yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to, until he gets up there. So he, he did it. It took him four and a half hours to do, and he puked twice on the way up. And I think they showed some of the puking on the show. Oh, yeah. And he got up there, and I basically said, for the average person to understand somebody this size to get up this mountain, they would have to carry around what he felt like doing it. So it was pretty. I really enjoyed that episode quite a bit. Yeah, no. Um how high is the grouse grind? Do you, do you know exactly? That's uh, a good question. I don't know exactly. I'm sure it's you can Google it, that kind of thing. Like they're they're they they have they have races up this thing. It's very very steep. And uh, my best time, and this is going anaerobic the whole time, is 38 and a half minutes. And um, that's my best time. And this guy, if you can understand, it took him four and a half hours. So he was really out of shape, and he was a couch potato when he started and it was with the and with the bad knee so you can tell what kind of pain he had to go through like i i literally would have to took you know, i would have to carry a refrigerator to take that long for me to do it yeah no for sure uh yeah i'm just checking here yeah it's about three kilometers of straight vertical and i mean it's not like nice yeah, cut right. steps either it's like root steps and stuff <laughs> yeah exactly and that's kind of funny there it's very popular it's in the tourist books and everything like that i think a lot of people who come from out of the country they yeah. think they're there just for a nice general touristy hike. So you see people with their cameras and they go up there in flip-flops and their nice clothes and stuff like that. And you see people literally crashed all over the place, relaxed, trying to get watered. They're, 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 they're red. They're sweating profusely, almost looking like they're going to faint. So it's a lot more than they think it is. They don't realize how tough it is. Yeah, I know for sure. One of my friends actually, when I uh, was living in Vancouver, one of my friends visited with her sister and the, and the three of us went up. And the, the one sister, she stopped at the one-third point and went back down. <laughs> she got to the one-third and she's like, she's like, we're only at a third? Screw this, I'm gone. <laughs> Eggs. That's a, that's a lot of that's exactly the reaction for most people because they have the the markers on the way up to let you know and you and after that first third you're thinking oh man there's no way I want to take two more thirds of this I know it's it's ridiculous I've I've only did it twice I think but yeah I think we were I think we were almost two hours when we did it I mean we weren't in a rush to do it but it was the first time but we just weren't surprised because you're not really like you can't really plan for it if you haven't done something like that before so it's just like you know it's kind of thinking a lot this will take like an hour no big deal. Uh, no, it's definitely not right. <laughs> so now, with your personal, when I did it, I just I just brought water, shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt, and just tried to do my best time. And uh, yeah, so a lot of people they'll take their time and enjoy it. Other people use it as a workout. They go there three times a week, and that's their workout. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like an outdoors timer. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's a great workout, I man. Definitely going to start doing it more often when I get back there. Um, so what are you doing now then? So the show's ended. You're back in Edmonton. Now, I know you're doing some stuff on CTV. I saw so you do some segments on there. What else are you up to? Yeah, I do some stuff on some local news and, and the, uh, Alberta Prime Time. So we discuss various and I do a little uh, radio show once per week, uh, giving advice on TSN 1260 um, uh, about nutrition and fitness as well. And then as well as training the, my, the same clients I've been training for the last 20, 25 years and really enjoying that. And it's great. And then I have a couple of kids now. I have a, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. So I've got them in sports. So I'm spending a lot of my spare time just making sure that they have a nice active lifestyle because as a trainer, you don't really want to have chubby kids. No, oh, definitely not. It definitely looks bad when you're out there <laughs> talking about overweight families exactly. and you got an overweight kid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what do you know, your CTV thing the other day, um, they were talking again about fat loss. And fat loss, of course, you know, always seems to be the the thing. Is, is fat loss still kind of the most popular subject when, that people bring up to you? Yeah, number one, like that's the majority of the people we train. They're having trouble their whole lives trying to get rid of fat in their body. And like in North, in North America, we're spending about uh, the, the the stat shows seventy to seventy five billion dollars a year trying to find the fastest, easiest, most comfortable way of losing fat, whether it's a supplement, a an eating plan, an exercise program, whatever. So it is it is still the the hot topic and. You know, the obesity rates are rising in these first world countries and um, the people trying to figure out a way to not be part of the majority because now, you know, being overweight is the majority. 60% of people in North America are overweight and it's about 35% that are obese. So it's pretty soon it's going to be rare to see a fit person walking around the street. Yeah, no, 100%. It's even affecting, you know, it's affecting the rest of the world. I mean, obesity and diabetes rates, for instance, in Southeast Asia or just Asia, period, are starting to rise too. And, um, you know, to be honest, they can point it out to to the the West. I mean, it's kind of the West's fault. Absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you pick that culture over there, they sort of ruin things for everybody. They do. They really do. I mean, everybody was fine until about the last five or ten years now, and then you got to look at it. It's like, well, you know, KFC uh, is dominating uh, Asia. You know, McDonald's, uh, Jolly Bean. Like, I, you know, I travel a lot. Like, you know, I'm based out of, uh, you know, I'm based out of the uh, Thailand a lot. Yeah. But I visit, you know, Philippines, Vietnam, Hong Kong. I mean, and just the amount of fast food, especially in places like the Philippines, is just absolutely terrible. So they took the, you know, they're coming over here and they're ruining these really pretty healthy traditional diets, you know, in countries that have for, right. in all of history, never had weight problems. And now, you know, it's getting slammed. And you can't point at anything else except the fast food, the 7-Elevens, the Coca-Colas, you know, this is stuff that wasn't here 10 years ago. Yeah, I think you're bang on there. That's sort of the number one thing that you try to deal with people is figuring out a ways for them to avoid that. And it's like, you know, these companies, they, they do research. They know exactly what food product to sell uh, that is so tasty that you cannot literally avoid it at such a low price that it would be ridiculous to try to find anywhere else to feed your family. So they got the low price, extremely good taste, and it gets that dopamine just released in your brain big time. So you get that temporary, unbelievable satisfaction. It's like having an orgasm after you eat a meal. Exactly. And it's, you know what, and the reason like, and the reason they do so well, companies like KFC, what, see what KFC did, and that a lot of the companies didn't do at the beginning, is KFC came 
and they tweaked all their menus to the local country, which was genius. So they didn't, right. they didn't try to come here and stuff, you know, the chicken and French fries uh, and, you know, uh, chocolate sundaes down your throat. They came over here and they said, okay, we have our chicken, but we're going to give you rice. And we're going to give you, um, you know, at McDonald's, you get a corn pie, you know, or you get a brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get a red bean pie. So what they did is, and then McDonald's, you know, followed suit. So here you can go to McDonald's and you can get a hamburger or a, you know, a beef patty on top, uh, on top of rice, you know. So what they did is they just went around to every country and they said, okay, how do we, you know, we'll make it cheap and we're also going to tweak it to everybody's individual tastes. And so that was just ingenious. Mario. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. And now the other thing too is, you know, you got McDonald's kind of over there. And, you know, they, they're trying to bring out their salads and they're trying to, you know, be, be the healthier, trying to become healthy over there. And, they, you know, they, they're like, oh, yeah, we're in it because we care about our customers. It's like, no, you're only doing it for market response. You cannot come to a McDonald's in Asia and get a salad. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they're trying to sell some of that stuff here, but nobody really buys it. And uh, they, they, the thing is about with the fast food is this. Like, they, they do their research. They know exactly the portion of salt, fat. Uh, protein and stuff like that to put into something with the additives and the flavorings to get that they call it the bliss point uh, to make that person want to come back and get them hooked on it. So they definitely do their research and uh, you know they they sell they try to sell other stuff, but it, the human body craves something that is extremely pleasurable, and mm -hmm. they know how to find that out, and they just basically sell you what the consumer is going to buy. Yeah, right. I mean, if, if consumers love salads, they would sell salads, but. People don't like that because it doesn't taste nearly as good as a Big Mac and fries with a chocolate milkshake. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're geniuses. You know, they, they check the biological stuff. What flavors do we respond to? You know, they check the sociological. Like over here, you know, in Thailand, you know, a lot of the Thais, the locals, they see McDonald's as the way we saw McDonald's kind of in the 80s. It's that, oh, it's the happy family place with the smiling clown that's welcoming and it's all about love. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow exactly you, right. you guys are so mcdonald's is they've they've 80s you guys so it's so funny here because you know everything here is stuck literally you know so far behind it's very interesting um but yeah, i even heard in north america i've even heard that they're the biggest distributor of toys of any other company uh because they give you that toys with movies and stuff like that associated with your meal so they get the kids bugging the parents to come in there Oh, 100 percent. I could I could see that. You know, I, I could definitely see that for sure. So what are the, some of the things? And so besides just the, you know, that and, you know, what did you find on the show and just dealing with clients? You know, let's talk about the problems with fat loss. So obviously, you know, we got all these marketing yeah. companies, you know, trying to market to us and doing really good jobs on researching and understanding psychology, biology, sociology. What other what other kind of other problems that that. What are the ton of trends or patterns that you see with all your sure. clients? I can kind of tell you exactly why fat loss is an issue in our society. So first of all, uh, you know, human beings have this uh, this uh, desire to seek pleasure, and they seek pleasure to get that dopamine release, like those chemical hormones in your brain, to feel temporary, really good. And we have that instilled in us from our prehistoric ancestors. So uh, back then, if they were lacking something, say if they were lacking food or if they were hungry, they were hungry have the desire and uh, motivation to seek food. If they were freezing cold, they would have the desire and motivation to seek warmth. So they would build a fire. So if they were 
sex or uh, desire, feeling sexual. They were designed finding a mate. So this is it programmed in our brain. So now what's happened is simple foods no longer provide that dopamine release. A hundred years ago, you, know, you could get like a, a mango, a coconut, an apple, and that would be the most yummy, tasty thing ever. But now that doesn't do it anymore. Now you need like a chocolate lava molten lava cake that's that's hot fudge oozing out of cake and a nice a nice cold vanilla ice cream around it. So people are are basically our senses have been hijacked by big food manufacturing companies. So we now need more sugar, more fat to get the same pleasurable release that a simple piece of fruit did a hundred years ago. Yeah, no, for sure. So that's the first thing, and then also we're programmed as human beings to be lazy. We we're we're programmed to conserve energy. True. So uh, the idea to go out and completely exhaust yourself is not really in our DNA. So because again, in our prehistoric ancestors, the only time they would exert energy was whether they're going to get food or get rewarded for it, or seek gather food or get away from a, a dangerous animal or make shelter of some kind. They would it have to be a reason for them to exert energy. If there was no reason, they would just sit around, right? So nowadays, um, sitting around is just done way too much because everything is provided. So it's just and, and the body to exert itself that, that vigorously is just undesirable. Have some extreme external motivation to do that. So whether if you're trying to make the NHL or or become a mixed arts fighter so you can get big money, then you have money as a motivating factor for you to give yourself punishing workouts. But why would you go and exert yourself and destroy your muscles and your cardiovascular system? for no reason. Most people can't motivate themselves to do that on their own. Yeah, no, 100% true. So then, knowing those two things that, you know, that we uh, that we are biologically set to eat and, you know, the foods that we've already said, the companies out there are making foods that taste delicious and we want to eat it because that's biologically what we're doing and that we are inherently lazy, what yes. sort of things do you then how do you help a client? Like how do we break the biology that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old? Yeah, so that's right. It's, it's hard to break the biology. So what I do when I look at clients, I look at habitual patterns that they develop for themselves consciously or unconsciously in their, in their lifestyle. So, um, for example, like I'll, I'll find out what a typical day for a client looks like and look at, first of all, the eating, which is the most important part of trying to lose body fat mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to not put energy in than trying to exert a lot of energy. For sure. So uh, so I look at the trouble parts of their day. I go, okay, well, let's find out what time to wake up in the morning. What do you eat then? What do you snack on midday, lunch? What is your trouble Is it your weekend? Is it the evenings? Is it your coworkers bringing back to the office? A lot of people late night snacking. After they've had dinner, their problem is that they keep eating while you're on the computer and dinner before they go to bed, even though they're not hungry. It's just these bad habits. We to find out what the habits they form for themselves and how can we change the habit or eliminate that habit altogether. And that's why it's so difficult because it's very individual. One thing you do for one person is not for another person. So now you have to take have to look at it one by one. That's why I have an advantage is when I do one-on-one -on -one personal training, I get to work with that person for a long period of time know what works for them, know what doesn't, find out what their problem spots are and where maybe they are in their day. Gotcha, okay. So definitely helping them with their patterns. And then 
Um, what kind of nutrition plan? Do, do you follow any particular kind? Like, what's your what's your stake when it comes to nutrition? Like, what do you tell a client for the most part? Are you like yeah. a are you a ketogenic guy that's all back again or what? <laughs> right, yeah, I am no guy on anything. I am not a paleo guy. I'm not a low carb guy. I'm no supplement guy and nothing. So what I do is when I develop an eating plan, I just work with real food. Uh, and that what I do with people is I, I need to give a, get a basic idea of how many calories their body needs in a day. So you can get – we have a place where you can go get a metabolic test for that. So finding out what their BMR approximately is. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is you can sort of estimate you know, how many calories they expend typically in an average week and sort of figure that in. Then when I come with, with an eating plan, I give them lots of options. And it's basic stuff. I let people eat whatever they desire that's reasonably healthy. Like I focus on nutrient density, so lots of good nutritious foods. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically set up the portion sizes for them. I can say, okay, you're allowed this many eggs uh, typically per, per day or week, this many ounces of lean meat. And I let them pick if you want, they want red meat, fish, pork, salmon, whatever they desire. I tell them what their portion sizes are and, um, and, and just allow them to make good choices, but as well as long as they're nutrition, nutritional choices, and then allow them to fit in the occasional treat here and there. And that's really all I do. I, I don't follow any specific macronutrient profile, like 40% protein, carbs, fat, or anything like that. It's just whatever works for them, and then trying to find out the, the reasons why they can't make good nutritional choices. So I need to find out, well, I, I want you to have a salad a couple times per week for dinner. Why can't you have a salad? Is it because you don't like the taste of a salad? Is it some people are afraid of vegetables? Some people uh, don't have significant others that aren't, aren't losing weight. They order takeout and they bring in pizza and Kentucky Fried Chicken into the house and they can't eat a salad in front of them. Okay. There's a whole bunch of reasons. So those would be what you talked about on CTV are the, the sabotage people. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely lots of those, and I experienced that in our X-rated show quite a bit. We'd have women that are maybe 50 to 100 pounds overweight, and they would be married to a skinny husband. He not necessarily is not a, very healthy, but he's just not maybe has a very fast metabolism, and he's not really interested in losing weight, and he's not that supportive. He might we've had a situation where the husband actually liked his wife to be overweight because he had low self-esteem, and he didn't want her to get too fit and healthy looking because he would think she would cheat on him. Yeah, I've actually I've seen that actually more than often. It's and it usually is for the most part. It usually is the guys for the most part. I yeah, think. I find it's not so much the ladies. Most ladies are like, yeah, I wouldn't mind my husband losing a few pounds. But a lot of the guys, they do. They get upset because, like you said, they don't have a self esteem, so they're afraid. Oh, if my wife starts losing some weight, other guys are going to look at her. So I have to keep pounding her full of food. It's yeah, terrible. Exactly. <laughs> That's you're right. So the, a lot of times it's the problem working. With, you have to get the other person in the relationship involved in the whole weight loss process with the client that you have. And then oftentimes you you can you never really even know what the choice why they're making bad choices in the first place. Um, that, that they don't even give you the real reason. To give you an example, on our show one time, we I found I used to go into the people's homes and I would look into their refrigerator and I look into their pantries and I would remove all the bad food choices. Because uh, you don't want to have the bad food choices that easily accessible to you because it's too easy just to pick at if they're in their house. And then the show would provide them some better quality food. And then there's this one lady. She would have a, a container of 
we call it a cake frosting. So it's called Duncan Hines cake frosting. Okay. So she would eat that with a spoon at night, uh, just watching TV. And it's literally a hundred calories for every tablespoon you put into your body. So it was that's ridiculous. That's just icing, right? It's just icing. Correct. Right. And she had two children, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, both girls, and they were already very obese, well over 100 pounds each of them already at eight and six. Wow. So I thought that their kids were obese because of the bad lifestyle and example the mother led. But the show's producers told me that the, the mother admitted to them that she purposely made her children obese because when she was younger, she was sexually molested and she wanted her children to be unattractive to males so nobody would touch them. Wow. So it can get quite deep like that too. So there's a lot of, a lot of times our personal trainer can't help with that. You need to have them deal with a psychiatrist. Yeah, well that's funny because I remember when, uh, when I, you know, when I first get out of school, I took psychology at McMaster and, uh, when I, you know, was working in the gym, some people would always say, "Oh, are you a kinesiologist? Kinesiologist, you know, exercise." I say, "No, no, I'm actually my background psychology." And they'd be like, "What does psychology have to do with fitness?" I'm like, oh, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, I mean, I, I think about X weighted. Did you guys, you guys had a therapist, did you not? At least, uh, yeah. For, for a lot of people, yeah, we brought somebody in as an expert to talk to people. Absolutely, you need that. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, any any of those decent weight loss shows, I mean, they always have the, the psychiatrist on there. I mean, the, the, it's, it's psychology is the whole, the whole thing behind it. Why are they overeating? Why are they not exercising? I mean, it's all psychology. So I always found it weird. Now, lately, nowadays, I found in the last maybe five to eight years, when you say psychology, it, it seems more normal. But I remember at the beginning, people were, like, just shocked because I guess at the time, you know, the only people that could be a personal trainer was a kinesiologist. So, right. Yeah, it's really interesting. Now, and I think yeah, a lot of people back then, also 10, 15, 20 years ago, even longer, they would just say, well, just eat less and exercise more, and that's it. Yeah, and exactly. I go, well, <laughs> gee, thanks for the great advice. That's like, that's like telling an alcoholic, well, just don't drink so much. No, exactly. Or something like mental disease, so just cheer up. It's not valuable information. No, it's terrible. And actually, I just uh, was, I was just just published a paper the other day actually it showed really interesting statistics that um especially was well, right now it's first world but it's, it's leading like an example like the philippines where as the membership levels of gyms rise obesity levels rise so it's so interesting that they actually show that par the, the parallel between gym memberships going up and obesity levels going up so you know exercise you know has been cut so pushed as the answer, like exercise more, exercise, exercise more. But obviously that's not the answer. The answer is not just exercise more, for sure. I mean, it's gotta be the quality of the food is definitely, in my opinion, number one. 100% would agree with that, absolutely. And then what happens, the problem, another problem is when you exercise more, you tend to have to eat more because you're hungrier, especially if you do a lot of cardiovascular endurance type training. And then the other issue is as you lose weight, you get something called metabolic adaptation. Your body starts dropping its metabolism yep. to accommodate this, this, this weight loss because your, your body thinks it's, you're trying to starve itself. So it's, it's like a protective mechanism built in. So it's a very, very difficult battle to win. So for a lot of people to have that those model abs and pecs and shoulders that you see in magazines, yep. it's unless you devote your life to it, and somebody's paying you to look in these magazines or be in a movie, it's extremely difficult to do that unless you have, you're genetically gifted that way. 
Exactly. No, 100%. I agree, which kind of brings me to what I wanted to ask you. How old are you now? You're 40. I just turned 50 last week. Just turned 50. Wow. So at a big party. So let's talk for a minute because, you know, the fitness industry, and this is one of the things I've been battling, it's, you know, it really is a young person industry, right? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know too many 50-year-olds with 200,000 followers on Instagram, you know, that, that, that's a fitness trainer. You know, it's, uh, you got lots of 24-year-old guys on there. So sure. how has your training changed then? You know, like one of my big things I'm really like is the, like I'm trying to focus on is kind of that over 40 training, you know, the, the older person training, the intelligent training. How would you say your training, like on your segment, you had mentioned that, you know, as you get older, your BMR drops. So you have to drop your calories in response. Is that correct? Yeah. If you want to be as lean in your 50s as you were in your 40s and 30s, you definitely have to work harder at it for sure because you have that metabolic drop that accompanies old age for sure but what I, I kind of focus on now is like my clientele has also aged with me and most of them are older than I am they're, so they're in their 60s and 70s yeah. so for me it's about improving their everyday life function they're not training some of them are training for races or like a triathlon or maybe some sort of obstacle race some people do that but most people just want to get through their day without injuring themselves, being able to have some reasonable strength and endurance to cut their grass, do some work around their house, play with their kids or grandkids, stuff like that. So th the key for me is I tell them is you're doing your weight training now as an insurance. So as you get into your 80s and 90s, you will have a better chance of having an independent lifestyle where you don't have to have somebody taking care of yourself. So my goal for them, I tell them, is that I want you to be able to wipe your own ass when you're 90 years old and not have somebody else do it for you. That is a very good goal. Yes. <laughs> so how is your training, like how is your, um, how is your, like your fitness, like what is your exercise? How has it changed since maybe you were in your, uh, let's not go 20s, but maybe since you were 30s to, to, to where you are now, just turned 50. How has it changed in the last yeah. 15 so years? The main thing for me is that I've had injuries accompanying my body over the years. I used to play a lot of sports, ball hockey, volleyball, tennis, ice hockey, uh, any kind of any racket sport, flag football, all that kind of stuff. So that constant impact has kind of, uh, wrecked my right knee a little bit. I've got a torn meniscus, a little wear and tear in the cartilage. I've herniated my lower back and my discs before, so sometimes I get lower back pain. Okay. I fell off my mountain bike and I separated my shoulder, so I got some shoulder pain. So it's trying to work out with weights and place con and continue to do some sports that I enjoy where I'm not constantly in pain and inflammation has sort of been my struggle. So I've had to give up a lot of stuff. I, I used to play a lot of competitive volleyball. The jumping uh, really has wrecked my knee. So I had developed teller tendonitis. I don't play volleyball anymore. Okay. I used to run half marathons. I used to come to Vancouver and do the Vancouver half marathon all the time. Running long distance doesn't work for me. So what I did is I switched to playing ice hockey. So the impact there is not as bad. I cross-country ski in the wintertime. That's great. I'm a big avid cyclist now. Lower impact. So yeah, I ride a, lot, to a lot of lower impact on the joints. A lot of gliding yeah, it, stuff, right? Yeah, I ride to work 15 kilometers each day back and forth. So I get a little bit of work that way. I still do my weights. I don't lift maybe as heavy a loads. And if something hurts, I don't try to work through it That I, like I tried to when I was in my 30s or 40s. If it hurt, whatever. Just deal with it the next day. I no don't pay do no that gain. 
Hello? Hey there. Hey there. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. Okay, hold on. We'll just go back to uh, no pain, no gain. Yeah, so for me, if I feel pain, I, I stop doing what I'm doing. If it's acute joint pain, I avoid that movement. And I try an exercise that I can still work the joints that I'm trying to work without having that pain. So there's always something you can do. But if you're having acute pain, you should avoid that movement for sure. So that's kind of what I've learned as I've aged a bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so what kind of, what are your kind of like, let's give some people some key takeaways that are maybe looking at getting into, you know, they're a little bit overweight, they haven't exercised much. What are kind of like maybe your top three takeaways we could give people to help them get started just getting healthier? What are your three things yeah, that you would Sure. So the first thing I would do is you need to find something for in exercise that you actually like to do. So if you don't like it, you're not going to be doing it long term. And that's sort of the key is it's the consistency and the longevity plus the progression in whatever activity you pick that's mm -hmm. going to give you the ultimate success. So if you are if you hate swimming and somebody tells you swimming is a great full body kind of a workout, but you're you 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 suffer and you have to, to use willpower to go there every day, then it's only going to last for a few weeks and you're going to quit. You got to find something you like to do. Hundred percent. Second, you got to find something you like to do with people you enjoy being around. Mm. That's very key. And also to push you a little bit because it's, again, like I said, it's, it's hard to kick your own butt. Like I have a lady client that I train. She has two other women in her neighborhood that she meets three times per week at seven in the morning. And no matter what the weather is, they do a five mile or five or eight kilometer walk. Okay. And she often says, if they weren't there waiting for me, there are some days when it's cold or rainy or whatever, she would not go. So having support, a system built in, you need to develop that. So instead of just working out by yourself, especially trying to work out at home, a lot of people buy equipment like a treadmill or a bike or something like that to work out at home because it's convenient. Yeah, yeah, it's all good intentions, but they're never going to use it because there's too many reasons not to when you get home. Yeah, so it I've always never, becomes a close It's hanger. very hard to have somebody succeed by themselves in their own home unless they're highly motivated. It happens once in a while, but not too often. Yeah. So yeah, find something you like to do. Find Do it around people that you, you love being around, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, try to progress. Like Be a little bit competitive. Like find Write down what you can do for whatever activity you're doing. And then try to beat it. Either do it a little bit harder or do it a little bit longer. And keep a little bit of a log. Because that way you don't get stuck and plateaued in your fitness. You're pushing yourself to achieve greater amounts of uh, functionality. And it, it sort of gives you a good feeling of self-confidence and self-worth. Awesome. And how about, uh, let's give people one big, if, if somebody came to you and said, I want to know the biggest nutrition tip you have, what would you, if you could only tell them one thing, what would you say to them? Okay. Uh, I would say eating, if you could, the tip, the basic tip is this, is really this, is eat high nutrient dense foods. So mm. eat foods that have the the most amount of nutrition, vitamins and minerals with the least amount of calories. So basically that's vegetables and fruit. So I would, my wife is actually a raw food vegan. Wow. I'm not, I, I like to eat a little bit of meat and, uh, but I, since being with her, I have cut back in my consumption of meat, but you know, eating nutritious foods is the, the real key because they have fiber, they have nutrition, there's water in it, they're, they satiate you, and they're easy to digest. You don't feel sluggish and slow eating the typical North American meat and potatoes 
kind of diet. I would say if you can do that and learn how to make them in uh, in, in tasty ways, because a lot of people think, well, don't you get bored eating fruits and vegetables? Well, no, because there's so many different types of fruits and vegetables and so many different ways to prepare them that it, you, you can really quite enjoy them. And then uh, I would say that's really the key if you can do it. Yeah, no, I hear you there. I mean, lots of studies have been showing more and more coming out every day that, you know, diets high in fresh vegetables and fresh fruits are the ones that help you live the longest and live the best. I mean, it, I, and I would agree with that. See, I have, I have no special magical formula right now in North America. I don't know if you guys are have it there. Like uh, exogenous ketones tend to be the big interesting thing going on right now here. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've been paying attention because the because it's all that Dave Asprey uh, ketogenic proof coffee, right? Yeah, no, they they don't have all those ketones over here, thank God, because yeah, it's just... they're starting to come out here in the last year or two. They, that's been being uh, popular with a lot a lot of fitness experts. I don't have any experience with them. I just do my own, just re reading about them. A lot of fitness experts are prescribing them to their clientele, and then there's a lot of fitness experts saying this is complete bullshit, crap stuff that you don't really need to consume, and it's really not for the general population. There's so many other things to worry about first than worrying about having ketones as an energy source in your body. Like you need to figure out like what are your why why are you either overeating or choosing bad food choices and uh making those changes first than worrying about all this other stuff too many people worry about getting getting advice from celebrities and like gwyneth paltrow and the kardashians and finding yeah. out what they're doing and they think that they're some sort of fitness advice gurus are you kidding me it'd be like asking my carpenter to do my taxes for me it's like dumb yeah, no, for sure. No, the uh, and I know the ketogenic thing. I mean, one of the biggest reasons it's come back, you know, because it's it's the exact same as it was in the the Atkins days ten years ago. It's just completely recycled. Right. The only difference is they've changed the uh, they've changed the goal. You know, the old goal was kind of just based on lose weight. The new goal, they're hiding it. You know, sure, there's the lose weight part, but you know, they're really trying to hide it behind this productivity and brain function thing. You know, it's kind of they've just repackaged it a little bit sexier, but uh, absolutely. The fact is, I mean, the, the only reason it's back is because now they had this one thing they didn't have back in the Atkins days. They now have a product they can sell with it. Exactly right. Yeah. And now, you know, those, keto, those, those ketones, whatever, powders, those are like $150 for a, a little container of them. Is that right? Yeah, it's crazy because my friend ended up buying it and she messaged me. She said, what do you think about those ketone powders? I said, "Don't even, please don't even get me going on those. She's like, oh, because I just bought one. I was like, oh, no. And <laughs> Yeah, and it's actually a bit of a, a couple of the companies, it's actually a bit of an MLM. You know, you can make money. So I'm like, oh, great. Well, that's why. If it's an MLM, you know, now I can see, I can see why it's exploding in popularity with these trainers that want to make some money off it. You know, absolutely correct. Yeah. Oh, it's brutal. So, Paul, where can people find more information on you? You got a website, social media. Where can people find you? Yeah, I would just say go to my website, paulplacus.com. And uh, there, what I do there is I help people, and I do every one of them myself, and through, and I talk to people through email about setting them up on an eating plan or an exercise plan if they wish. Mm -hmm. And I have some some videos that people can just check out on the website of just some good basic exercises that if they want some ideas that they can try in the gym, just with some dumbbells, their own body weight, and that kind of stuff. So there's just some information there. There's just some articles that I've written over the years. So uh, yeah, check that out, paulplacus.com. Perfect. Yeah. Well. 
I'll add that to the notes too. Do you do online training too? So people like listening to you, because you know, this kind of goes everywhere. So if somebody messages you from like, you know, Alabama. Uh, yeah, well I send people exercise plans and I talk to them, but I don't do anything where I consult people through Skype. Uh, okay. I, I'm pretty busy at work and stuff like that and with the family. So I can, I do, a, I can give people a little bit of help, but I don't do any online like one hour consultations over the computer, no. Yeah, yeah, no, perfect, perfect. But at least you can get, they can get a little bit of a workout plan or something for you and yeah, email you some questions and stuff. Cool, well, all right, Paul, I'd love to thank you for joining us today. I know it's, uh, it's about, uh, what's about 10 p.m. at night over there or so, 9.30, 10 p.m. 10.30. Yeah, 10.30, it's about 11.30 a.m. here. So thanks for getting us on the show. I think it's gonna be a great one. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you again very soon. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you back in Vancouver when you're there. Sounds good. Talk to you later.